Who's in trouble? Throw it to her. Morning, everybody. How we doing? Good. Oh, my gosh. Terrible. Merry Christmas. There we go. Okay, let's bring it up a little. We got a lot to be happy about today, you know? Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 3. Um, thank you to the music team. Thank you, all our music volunteers. Can we thank all those who serve us so well? Thank you, guys. Thank you, Matt and Trevor. Yep. John chapter 3, 1 through 15. Let's read together. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I pray on behalf of the kids of our church and community today, um, Lord, that they would be born again, that they would not just be nice kids, but they would be new, radically renewed, regenerated, born from above, not just from below. Lord, America is a dangerous place to raise kids. Um, our brothers and sisters around the world understand that, that, that our task in many ways is greater to be faithful here. And I pray for our kids that they would not locate their hope in what they have, but in who they are in Christ. And that is so difficult when you have so much. To live your life thinking that my life, my identity, my value, my significance consists of the things that I have and the successes in my life Material things, my health, my wealth, my degrees, 
so many opportunities for success, and, and we are thankful for that, Lord, but it carries with it a danger that we might focus on things on earth and not on things in heaven, that our kids would be more focused and their hearts would be caught up in this world and not the world to come. And so I pray, Lord, that you would deliver them from that lie of the enemy who would love to make them nice, successful, educated, healthy people who don't know Jesus. And so we pray that you would break through, Holy Spirit, in their lives through the gospel, through the gospel in their homes, the gospel at church, the gospel on Sundays, the gospel from grandparents and friends and family. You would use that word of truth to cause them to be born again, that they may look upon Jesus and live. That is our great prayer for them. Everything else flows from that. And I pray even today they would hear that and maybe, maybe you want to save a child in this church service. Holy Spirit, please, please move. How many lives are affected? What kind of a legacy does it leave? Just one person coming to Christ. We ask now that you would remove distraction. There's plenty of that this time of year where we're focused on a lot of things. A lot of good things, but now maybe we singularly focused on you to hear what you have to say to us. You have a message for us, every one of us. Help us to tune in and listen well. In Jesus' name, amen. Very famous passage in John's Gospel today. I imagine many of you are familiar with it. Uh, Jesus' conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Uh, it's found only in John's Gospel, and it is absolutely dense with the theology from the greatest theologian of all time, the GOAT, Jesus Christ himself. Uh, all other theology flows from him. So we talk about Paul as the greatest theologian. Yep, yep, okay, I know what you mean. But really, he learned everything he knew from Jesus. The big question in the text today is this. Are you born again? Have you been born again? Like being born in the United States makes you a United States citizen. In order to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born of heaven. You have to have spiritual birth. Like being physically conceived and born makes you alive. You must be spiritually conceived and born to have eternal life. Becoming a Christian is not about rules, it's about relationship. Just like being born brings you into relationship, doesn't it, with a family. Now, it might not always be the best relationship, but you're in a relationship. So too, you need to be born spiritually to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. A loving, living, trusting relationship with Jesus Christ. He is now the center of your life. So... To ask, have you been born again, is another way to say, what is your relationship with Jesus? What is your relationship with Jesus? And I would just say, everyone in the world has a relationship with Jesus. It's just a question of what kind. Is he your judge or your savior? 
Is he your enemy or your friend? Is he Almighty God haunting you? Or is he your big brother comforting you? Everyone has a relationship to Jesus, so we need to understand that when we say, you need a relationship. No, you have one. It's just a question of what kind. Is it on good terms or bad terms? Is it a relationship of love or judgment? It's one or the other. And sometimes we say to people, you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. We don't make Jesus anything. We acknowledge by faith what he already is. King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior of the world. We're not in charge. Like I could make Jesus anything. I receive him. I trust him for what he already is. It's Christmas Eve day. What is today called? I don't know what. Is it Christmas Eve day? Is that how you say it? I don't know. A great moment to ask this question in your life. Are you born again? And it doesn't matter how old you are. You know, Nicodemus is an old man. He's old. Salvation is not just for the young. I don't know, maybe sometimes we think of it that way. Um, We focus a lot on children's ministry, youth. Yes, good. But Nicodemus is old. And he becomes a Christian. He changes. We know from John 7, John 19. He, He turns. And he defends Jesus publicly. He helps Jesus at the end of his life. He changed his mind. So he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying here, but he goes home and he thinks about it. Something happened. The Holy Spirit worked. So I wonder, somebody older here today, that would be a Nicodemus, born again, late in your life. Not only is he converted in his old age, but he is useful in his old age. Uh, He helps Joseph of Arimathea with Jesus' body, we know from John 19. He brings 75 pounds of aloe and spices to Joseph to help with Jesus' body. He must be doing water aerobics or something. 75 pounds he's carrying as an old man. He's useful. He brings linen cloths. He finds a a tomb for Jesus. So let me just say, older believers, widows, God has purpose for your life. If he didn't, he would have taken you home. It's just as simple as that. If you're still here, you have purpose. God has a purpose for you. God has plans for you. God has a reason that you're still here. It's never too late to grow. It's never too late to change. You can always be useful in God's kingdom. Sometimes it's just your neediness that he uses. And that's okay. You don't have to be doing a ton of stuff, but seek God on that. What, Father, how would you use me? Why am I here? What would you, how would you like me to serve? Nicodemus found something that he could do. It was just bringing some spices. He was helpful. It's never too late to be born again. Okay, let's get into the text. Verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Okay, who is he? Think of a seasoned old professor. He's been studying the Old Testament his whole life. He's teaching it. He's tenured at his Jewish university. He's got students coming up all the time. Rabbi, what does this mean? 
um, he's in a position of respect and authority. He is well known. He is well thought of. Spiritually speaking, he's on varsity. This is a man you would think of as very religious, very devout, very impressive. He prays, he ties, he probably has the 613 rules and laws of the Torah memorized. And yet, something's missing. Clearly, because he comes to Jesus. He's curious. At a minimum, he comes curious. Verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night. Interesting detail that John adds here. Um, There's debate about this. Why does he come at night? Why is this here? My personal take is, this is fear of man. Um, Most of all, his colleagues are threatened by Jesus, and they will end up murdering him, that being the Pharisees. So for him to immediately come in broad daylight to talk to Jesus, to be curious to Jesus, he doesn't really want to do that, I don't think. He's playing it safe. This is like someone who works for the Biden campaign coming to talk to Trump about his foreign policy because they're curious and they're, they're interested. Okay, you're going to keep a low profile in that situation. You don't want to be seen doing that. I think that's what's happening. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's at a minimum of aware of Jesus' miracles, and he flatters him. He flatters him, but John tells us at the end of chapter 2, Jesus did not entrust himself to flatterers. You can't sweet-talk Jesus onto your side. He knew what was in man's heart. He knows man's heart. And it's a good lesson for us. Kids, adults, someone praises you, says something nice to you, great, say thank you, but don't entrust yourself to them. Don't find your heart craving the next hit of their praise because in the end, they will let you down. You cannot look to another person other than God for your identity and your value. As nice as it is to hear a nice thing said to you, it was, I'm sure, nice for Jesus to hear, well, you do miracles, you're doing signs. That's great. But he didn't entrust himself to them. He received it, but he didn't. This is, the clinical term can become, in an extreme case, codependency. You depend on this other person. You depend on them. You entrust yourself fully to them. So if you don't have them, if I didn't, I mean, I was listening to a song yesterday. If I don't have you, what do I have? Anyone talking about God? If I don't have you, girlfriend, boyfriend, what? I might as well be dead. You've entrusted yourself to another person Now, do we want to trust people? Yeah, absolutely. But ultimately, we can only trust God with that part of our heart. Good lesson. Verse 3, the question Nicodemus is essentially asking Jesus is, who are you? Who are you? Jesus answered him in typically surprising fashion. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, Nicodemus is saying, who are you? And this is the answer that Jesus gives. Don't you love that? Like, I'm not going to just say I'm the son of God. I'm going I'm to say this. What? 
But Jesus sees into a person. He discerns what he needs to hear, not what he wants to hear. What he needs to reckon with. Nicodemus, you don't know who I am because you're spiritually dead. You don't recognize the king because you're not in the kingdom. So let me help you. Because if I just told you, you wouldn't believe it. It wouldn't do anything. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's going to be an awkward conversation with mom. He thought it was awkward the first time. How about that? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, I think water here means cleansing by the Holy Spirit. I think really they're kind of synonymous when we talk about water and the Spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Here's what's going on. It's all rooted in the Old Testament. That's why Jesus expects Nicodemus to understand it. Promised and predicted that God would make a people for himself from all nations from the inside out. Not just ethnically being Jewish, but having a new heart. Ezekiel 36.22 promises this. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. There's a sermon in that sentence. Which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people. And I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. What a promise. We use a number of theological terms to describe what Ezekiel is prophesying and saying. Regeneration, new birth, born of God, made alive. Essentially, God giving you a new nature. And there's some debate about it. Do you choose God and then he gives you a new heart? Or does God give you a new heart in order that you would choose him? Um. Who is decisive is the question. Who is the initiator, man or God? So let's think about that. What is our spiritual condition naturally according to the Bible? We are dead. Do dead people make good moral decisions? Not going to go there today. Do blind people see Jesus and follow him? Heart of stone. Is that soft, tender, sensitive to the things of God? 
it would seem that in order to choose Jesus, I have to want to choose Jesus. In order to want to choose Jesus, I need a new heart. How can I choose someone and something that I don't want? If I don't want God, if I'm in rebellion, if I'm dead to him, if I'm an enemy, how do I, unless something happens inside? Who can give me a heart transplant? I, I may be off. I'm happy to be corrected by Ben, but I'm not aware of anyone giving themselves a heart transplant. I don't know that that's possible. has to be done to you, for you, from someone outside of you. I think the metaphor Jesus chooses is very intentional. I don't think it's an accident. Did you decide to be born? Raise your hand. Anyone decide to be born? No. Was that an act of your will to be born? With some of our kids, it kind of felt like it. Like they are determined to get into this world uh, one way or the other. No, it's completely passive. Of course not. Nobody congratulates the baby on all their hard work when they come out. Moms, how would you feel about that? Well, you're, you know, you're lucky. Mom, that, that he was here to help you through this. Um, great work, baby. Well done. Uh, you made a lot of good decisions in there. You needed to flip. You did it. Well done. Excellent. Mom, I mean, you know, fine, but baby, great work. No, it's completely passive. You are given a gift of life you didn't ask for and didn't deserve. Being born again is the same thing. You are passive. You are given a gift you didn't ask for and didn't deserve. You cannot take credit for it. Any more than a baby being born where we give them credit. Notice in Ezekiel 36, who is decisive? What do you hear? I am about to act. I will take. I will sprinkle clean water. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will remove the heart of stone. I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to obey. I will be your God. Is it not clear? It's all God. He is sovereign over salvation from beginning to end. And praise God for that because I can't raise myself from the dead. I can't cause myself to be born from above. I can't do anything. I am helpless. I am a slave to sin. I am dead in my sins and trespasses. Unless God acts upon me without my permission or my request, I have no hope. And yet he does. Because he loves me. For no other reason than that. I, I, I cause you to be born again in the Son by the Spirit because I love you. That's it. Period. There's no other reason. So that no one may boast in the presence of God. No one. You have nothing to boast about, and that is a good thing. So you give all the glory to Him. Every ounce of it will go to God forever and ever and ever. All we will say is thank you. And you say, but I chose Him. I remember the day. I remember the hour. I remember the moment. I remember saying it. Yes, you did. You must trust in Jesus. But why did you do that? Because invisibly, monergistically, sovereignly, supernaturally, he changed your nature so that the first 
cry of your new life was a cry of faith. What is a newborn baby? What is the first thing that they do? Cry. It's completely natural for someone with a new heart to cry out in faith. You hear the gospel, you see Jesus, you say, yes, my Lord and my God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Cry of faith. If a baby is not crying when they're born, you know something's wrong. And when a sinner has a new nature, we would expect, we would expect faith, the first cry of a new life. I was there for the birth of all my four girls. First one I almost missed, I was napping and carried through a tissue box at my head. I was like, what is your problem? I was in a good REM moment there. Could you just, like, what's, what are we doing? What's the deal? I remember Greta's birth in particular because that girl was crying before she came out. We could hear her. I've been cooped up in there for nine months. I had nobody to talk to. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I got places to go and people to see. The doctor's like, she's crying before she's coming out. That's never seen that before. first cry of a newborn Christian is the cry of faith. It's the most natural thing in the world. And it can happen like this, where, okay, regeneration and faith, we, we can't see exactly how that plays out. It's mysterious. It's sovereign. It's like the wind. You can't control it. It, it could be very fast. It could happen right now. Spirit regenerates, boom, faith. We can't see it. We can't predict it in terms of the unseen work of God, but we can see the fruit of it. We can see faith. We can see fruit of the Spirit, where there was none. So Jesus is making the point, the Spirit is sovereign, the Spirit is untamable, uncontrollable. Some of you want God to work like Ikea furniture. Very predictable, very controllable. When I follow these steps, here is the outcome. Wouldn't that be nice? But God is free. Grace is free. He is sovereign. We can't predict. We can't control. And that is good news because, guys, he is wiser than us. Okay, I want point one, two, three, four, five. Again, I have a finished product. God sometimes knows that's not the best way to do it. We're going to go here and we're going to go here. We're going to, there's going to be twists and there's going to be turns. There's going to be waiting. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be suffering. And this is good. Overall, working for good in your life, someone you want to get saved, you want your kid to be saved when they're young. And, and, and I hear it all the time. You tell me stories. Well, my dad was saved on his deathbed. My mom was, my kid, my, it, I can't, we can't, we don't know. But God does, and we can trust him because he's wiser than us. He's more holy and righteous than us. He always makes the right decision. I, do you believe that? God always makes the right decision. Your job, just be faithful. Faithful witness. 
Share the gospel. Love people. Invite them to church. Pray for them. You can't control the wind. One thing Nicodemus teaches us is that you can be very spiritual and not have the Spirit. You can be very religious and not have religion that is from above. Pure religion, as James calls it. How then do you know you've been born again? How do you know you're not just a quasi-religious, spiritual person, but not going to heaven? Let me give you a couple signs that you have been born again. There are many, but I'll just pick two. Number one, you love God's Word. One day the Bible is boring, tedious, and confusing. The next day it's exciting, joyous, and life-changing. How do I explain that? (laughs) I saw this in Carrie's conversion. Uh, she went from no appetite in, uh, for the Word of God to just like insatiable hunger. I couldn't keep up. Can, can, okay, what's the next Bible study we're going to do? What's the next sermon I should listen to? What's the next book I should read? Will you finish the last one? I gave it to you two days ago. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. Can I have another? Oh, we're going to church Sunday, right? <laughs> At that time, I wasn't that interested in church. Yeah, yeah, okay, we'll go. That's the right thing to do. Well, let's talk about the sermon. Okay, let's talk about it. If you have a new heart, you love the reading, teaching, preaching of God's Word. You will love to discuss it. It will come alive to you. I'm not saying every moment you're on fire. That's not what I'm saying, that there's some bar you have to hit. I'm saying that generally speaking, the Word of God will mean something to you. It will be alive. It will be, this is amazing. This is real. And when I say the preaching of God's Word will come alive to you, I mean real preaching. Okay, There are are some people, I believe, are genuinely born again who are down on preaching. It's boring. That's because they've never heard a sermon. Not a real one. Not a passionate, courageous, God-centered, Bible-saturated sermon. They've never heard preaching. They've been in church maybe their whole life. They've never heard preaching. If you are born again and you hear real preaching, it stirs you. Something happens. Young men, thinking about ministry, I hope that fires you up. We don't have enough good preaching. We don't. How many churches? You go to them for weddings, funerals, other things. And it's like, what was that? They hear the gospel. Either they don't care or it's just rote. It's just, it's not preaching. Not biblical preaching. And if you hear biblical preaching and you have the Holy Spirit, you bet. You're going to notice. If... There is no hunger for God's Word. It may be that you need to be born again. Number two, your desires change. Sinful hearts have sinful desires. Spirit-given hearts have holy desires. If you're born again, there is a fight between the flesh and the Spirit. You actually want to obey God. It bothers you when you don't. Righteousness tastes good. Light tastes good. John 3 will tell us that For those who are perishing, darkness tastes good. They love it. 
You love it. Your desires are dark. When you're born again, your desires change. I had a very clear change of desire in my life. Minivans. I don't know how you feel about minivans, but I hated them. I had real antipathy toward the minivan. Uh, I hated their shape, and that's, main, that's the main thing, the shape. I just think they're ugly. And I hated them. I, I, I swore to myself, as the Lord lives, you will never own a minivan. Is that Scout's Honor? I was not a scout. And I didn't like them. And one of my best friends growing up, I was with him all the time. His family had a Dodge Caravan. It was awful. Okay, beige color, the fake wood paneling. They put a toy cactus on the radio antenna in the front. It was just sick. It was sick. I hated it. And then we had kids and tried to put three car seats in the back of a Honda Civic. It was hard on our body. Um, Carrie and I were doing rock, paper, scissors to see who had to do it. Uh, we were at the chiropractor every week. The massage therapist was on retainer. And so my desire started to change. I would see people with a minivan just swimming in all this space, and I was jealous. I'm like, well, you know, we started to backtrack in our conversations. Like, eh, it can't be that bad, right? I mean, they get good, good gas mileage these days. Like, we could, we could, yeah. Um, and then we were radically converted. We, uh, we bought a minivan, something we once hated, and now we love it. <laughs> our desires change. Being born again is like that. Being born again is like that. Things you once hated, you found boring, you found unfair, you found stupid, now you love. Because God loves them. Things you once loved, namely sin, you now hate. Because God hates it. Which makes perfect sense because you've been born of heaven. You've been born of the Spirit. Of course, your desires would change. Of course, your tastes would change. Some of you kids, you hate vegetables now. It won't always be like that. Take it from me, okay? I witness. The same thing is true spiritually. Your tastes change. What you love changed. This is a sign that you are born again. This is a sign of regeneration. You can't explain it any other way. How, how do you explain it? I could give you a lot more. Loving people, loving the church, your prayer life, but for time, we'll leave it there, and I'll finish with verse 13. Verse 13, look at it with me. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is a reference to the cross in the Gospel of John. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. At the end of the day, guys, you don't ascend to God. He descends to you in his Son. You don't go up to God through your goodness. You look up to him beaten, bloodied, bruised, hanging, crushed on a cross. When Israel was judged and bitten by deadly snakes, God told Moses, put a bronze serpent on a pole, hold it up, and whoever looks at it will be healed. That's strange. That's an odd source of healing. And that's the point. So you know that God did it. So you have to look up away from yourself at something that seems very strange, a bronze serpent on a pole, which, by the way, now is a sign for healing in the world of medicine. 
This is not what you would expect, and the cross is not what you would expect. The world did not expect its Savior to die. In weakness, they expected him to come in strength. And so, like Moses and like the bronze serpent, Jesus is lifted up, and all those who look upon him with faith will live. Look and live is the call. You may say, well, you know, that seems weird. That seems strange. I, how? He's so weak. That's the point. That's the point. He was weak for our sake. He took our sins because we're sinners. He had to go to the cross so you don't have to, ever. Will you look upon him anew with faith? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing sacrifice. Zeal for the Father's house consumed you and sent you to be lifted up. Amazing, Lord, that even in Numbers 21, way back in the Old Testament, you with Moses are planting the seeds, are planting the previews of what was to come, a greater bronze serpent a greater lifting up, a greater deliverance, not just from a snake bite, but from sin and death and the devil. So we give you all the glory and all the praise, and we thank you for this great work you have done for our sake. Now we sing confident that it is not our grasp holding on to you that assures our salvation, assures heaven for us, but it is your grasp of us. Yes, we want to hold on, Lord, but we know that we let go and it is your hold of us, holding us fast, that keeps us. It is your supernatural work within us that makes us new and brings us into the kingdom of God. Thank you. In Jesus' name.